Screen Time with John Fardy. This is News Talk. Hello and welcome to Screen Time. I'm John Fardy and this is News Talk's TV and movie show. This week on the show, I talk to the effervescent yet creepy Penn Badgley. Well, he's not creepy. His character in Netflix's You is very creepy and I'll be chatting to him. It's Oscars, obviously, and there'll be lots of talk of that. And we look at the front runner, which happens to be everything, everywhere, all at once. We also review the sixth installment in the Scream franchise. Plus, Kathy Kelly chats about her favourite movie. I'm open on Twitter, John underscore Farty, or you can email me, screentime at newstalk.com. This show is available as a podcast every Friday at 5pm on newstalk.com or the Newstalk app powered by Go Loud, and it's on the radio every Saturday at 6pm here on Newstalk. Good weekend to you all. Hope you're doing well and life is treating you well. I got a new laptop this week in work and it's incredible the anxiety a new laptop can bring you. Who knew? But all your settings, everything's changed. All your logins, you have to re-enter passwords. It's hours seem to go by with this new piece of equipment. It caused me no end of stress. You know, it's, I realize this is, you know, the pinnacle of a first world problem. But that's what I was grappling with this week. But I do want to give a big shout out to the tech team here in News Talk, who are the most gracious when confronted with Luddites like me. So my gratitude to them. And of course, it is Oscar week. 14 nominations, 14 statues hang in the balance. Uh, it's exciting. You know, I'm a bit worried because it, it seems that everything, everywhere, all at once, this movie starring Michelle Yeoh, is kind of becoming out of nowhere a front runner. But look, by the law of averages, 14 nominations, you know, we should we should take something home. Paul Meskel, as you know, is up for Best Actor for After Sun. I actually spoke to Paul Meskel, you haven't heard it yet, for his new movie, God's Creatures, opposite Emily Watson, which is out on the 24th of March. And I did get a chance to talk to him about his possible Oscar win for After Sun. And this is what he had to say. And I, I have to ask, I mean, you're up against another Irishman. It must be a heartache that you get an Oscar nomination and you're both going to wear the Irish flag. How are you feeling about I, this? There's no heartache in that. I mean, like, I'm flying the flag for Colin, to be honest. I think his performance <laughs> in Banshees is just one of my favourites in, in, in quite a while. So, like, to get to be nominated in a category with him is like I take great pride in that yeah so Paul Meskel wants Colin Farrell to win that's humility for you so let's see but the very best of luck to them all and in particular in particular I'm very hopeful for Oncolian Kewen and that would make everyone's day if it were to win for Best International Movie here's hoping now this week in TV I was watching the new Chris Rock special, which was actually broadcast live. The first time Netflix have ever done this on, I think it was Sunday night. For us, it was three in the morning, so I didn't watch it live, but it's up there now. It's called Selective Outrage. It's trademark Chris Rock in that it's not for the easily offended. He talks about the state of the world. He talks about his own life and what he's done in recent years with a lot of his specials is they're very funny, but he also gets quite personal and gets quite serious about certain things, not to the point of it turning into some, you know, full on cathartic, dramatic thing, but he certainly shares stories from his life that have quite powerful 
content to them. And for instance, in this one, he talks about how proud he is of his daughter, who's now in culinary school in Paris, and contrasts that with the fact that his grandmother grew up at a time where if, as a black woman, if she couldn't find a black dentist, she could have had to go to a vet to get her teeth seen to. And he points out how now she goes to Paris twice a year to have coffee with his daughter. It was, it was quite an emotional moment. But the big piece of selective outrage on Netflix is undoubtedly what he had to say about the Will Smith slap at the Oscars last year. And he it's the first time he talked about it publicly. And there's a good 10 minutes in it. And it's very interesting what he has to say about it. I've got smacked in the f***ing Oscars by this motherfucker, And people like, did it hurt? It still hurts. But I'm not a victim, baby. You will never see me on Oprah or Gail crying. You will never see it. Never gonna happen. I couldn't believe it. And I love men in black. No. It's never gonna happen. So I'd urge you to watch it. If for nothing else, the last 10 minutes of him talking about how that all went down at the Oscars last year was pretty exciting stuff. Uh, so there's a lot going on in Selective Outrage on Netflix. Now, staying with Netflix, take a listen to this. Just pick one. It's all cut from the same hunk of overpriced wood. I can't decide. People trying to buy some sort of meaning in their lives with $60 candles and sustainable lamps. I mean, they all look pretty good to me. No, I just mean, should I get the queen or the king size bed? Your bedroom isn't big enough to fit a king. Oh, you're right, it's two. How do you know that? It's New York. No one's bedroom is big enough to fit a king. Now, that was the actor Penn Badgley playing Joe Goldberg in the Netflix series You. This is a very popular show on Netflix. I don't think we've ever discussed it on this show before because let's face it, there's so many shows to be covered, but it's just released this week, the second part of its fourth series. And you have the actor Penn Badgley, as I say, playing Joe Goldberg, who works in a bookshop in New York when the series begins. And he basically befriends, starts to stalk a woman who you heard there He's a very nasty guy, nasty to the point of killing people. And as the series goes on, he moves across America. Up in series four, he's now living in London. And he's left a trail of human destruction behind him romantically and in terms of life. He's killed people. He's encountered all sorts of people. It's a crazy show that has Penn Badgley at the center of it being horrible, yet it's very intriguing. It, it's kind of a serial killer story. It's also an examination of social media and all that kind of stuff and toxic masculinity. It sounds heavy. It, it, it's kind of a banana show in that it's very entertaining if you can park the fact that Joe Goldberg is a serial killer. In season three, he comes across a woman called Love Quinn. It gets even more interesting after that. People adore this show. And Penn Badgley, as I say, plays the main character, Joe, in it. And he came to life uh, for a lot of people in Gossip Girl. He was in a movie all about Jeff Buckley and his father. He's a very striking looking guy and plays, if you know you, he plays Joe brilliantly in it, creepily and charismatic. So I got to talk to Penn Badgley earlier in the week about you. 
I've been a fan of the show and I've watched it all, but I was reminding myself of it all with a recap I saw online, which was very handy. And, you know, after a while I was going, God, did all this happen? This is crazy. And then I actually heard you say in the recap, because you were doing it, this show is bananas. <laughs> and I'm wondering, because it's a great show, don't get me wrong, but I don't know how long ago you did that video, but now that I've seen all four seasons and you've made them, do you still feel it's as bananas as it was? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think it keeps getting they the show is clearly written by monkeys because they love their bananas, you know what I mean? like no, what I really mean is they always find a way to make it like I think what they do is they 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 seem to write themselves into a corner by by the by the end or middle of a season because yeah. what they've done is so crazy. And then they always find a way for it not only to be like a good climactic ending, but I think it, and I really mean this, I think I think it always has a, a very surprisingly grounded emotional resonance. Yeah. It really does. You know, it's like somehow for all of the, you know, maybe caricaturish stuff that happens with the B storylines or whatever, you know, whatever it is, mm -hmm. because the show is what it is. The show is like high art and camp at the same time. Yeah. Um, they always bring it home. They always yeah. bring it home in a way that is, I think, really rewarding. And this season, to be honest, I think does that more than any other because seasons two and three were so exceptional with the inclusion of love. Um, it was kind of like, how are you going to top that? How are you going to, mm. what else are you going to do? And they found a way to do it. They and certainly think, did. You know, and especially in episode eight, which I, I guess we can't really talk about spoilers, or I don't know. No. But, but They'll but pull this interview if we do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so episode eight, I can say though, is like you get something that makes the whole series suddenly—I don't know—be more like emotionally rewarding. And mm. I, 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 I thought it was beautiful. So yeah, and just on that, the the, the deeper side of things, let's say, because the show does have that beating heart. You know, I'm sure I'm not the first person to suggest this, but Joe and Jonathan as he's called now, uh, he thinks he's cool and he thinks he's charming. And yet we all see that he's not. He's horrible in many, many ways. Is the show a grand metaphor on toxic masculinity? That's yes. I think it's even more broadly a, 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 a grand metaphor in love. And then the subset of that is mm. like, how does toxic masculinity play into that? Well, the truth is actually toxic masculinity is created by by not giving love to boys. Yeah. You know, yeah. like I actually think that's pretty scientifically proven to be an accurate statement. Like, yeah, that's not all that it is. Sure. But the first victim in masculinity is the boy. And then, you know, mm. the, the victims afterward are those that he, you know, yeah. can't be intimate with and therefore treats in a certain way. And so honestly, yes, I think you're right. But I think more broadly, it's just, it's really just a whole exercise in exploring our, our misconceptions about love is what I think. Yeah, that's a great way of putting it. Tell me this, it starts in New York, LA, we get a bit of Paris, now it's London. Are all roads leading to Dublin? I mean, it seems I obvious. they were. I, honestly, so if I wasn't exhausted by spending this much time away from home, <laughs> I can imagine. I, I, would, I would actually love that. I would love yeah. that more than anything I can think. Maybe that or like Tokyo, you know? 
Um, <laughs> but uh, first of all, I can't say where it's yes, going. Yes, of next. course you can. Or if it's going next, who knows? Mm, you sort of sound like Yoda now. <laughs> Listen, just finally then, uh, you mentioned fathers and sons. I really enjoyed your performance as Jeff Buckley in a movie from oh. a long time ago. Uh, and that guy, you know, people say you is a cult show. Jeff Buckley was the most cultish of musicians because he only had one and a bit albums or whatever. Were yeah. you were you a massive fan? I don't want to put words in your mouth, but oh, certainly in the 90s when I was coming of age, people just adored this guy. And he played in Dublin once famously. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he's famously, I mean, he's like more Irish than a lot of Americans who say they're Irish. Like, yes. He did have that. Like, yeah. I think his grandfather was very, was fully Irish. I think. Yeah. I don't remember all that lineage stuff, but um, uh yeah, I was a fan. I mean, to put it simply, I was very yeah. much a fan. Um, I he was in he he he's 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 a unique and inimitable talent. So playing him was quite daunting, you know. But uh, but such an amazing opportunity, and really somehow he remains close to my heart. You know, his spirit. He he was he was an immense artist, and mm -hmm. I did spend a period in my teens where I absorbed his music so when the role came by i um i just kind of knew i was like i've got to be on a short list for that simply by being physically in the pocket mm -hmm. you know what i mean yeah there can't be that yeah. many people no and then on top of that i can sing i cannot sing like him but i can sing and play so i've got to be in there you know i've yeah. got to get close if not get it and um and you got it. And you can certainly hold a tune. Well, you were great in that and you're great in you. So continued success. And thanks for talking to me, Pat. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. Cheers. Penn Badgley there talking to me about you, which has just launched the second part of season four on Netflix and uh, people adore you and it is a, it is a great show it's crazy that the twisty nature of it where it goes is what it's a wild ride but it's a very entertaining one now we have a giveaway for you this week to celebrate the release of Shazam Fury of the Gods which continues the story of teenage Billy Batson who upon reciting the magic word Shazam is transformed into his adult superhero alter ego Shazam Shazam Fury of the Gods will be in cinemas from next Friday that's the 17th of March and we have a great merch pack for you and it includes a wireless charger a water bottle a cap a drawstring bag a glow in the dark pin badge a mug a pen and a notebook all emblazoned with Shazam who wouldn't want that uh, it's pretty cool actually it's packed so we have three of these to give away if you would like to be in with a chance of winning one simply text the word Shazam to 53106 or email the word Shazam to screen time at newstalk.com and Anne-Marie Kane will pick three winners up next everything everywhere all at once Now you're welcome back to Screen Time News Talks TV and Movie Show. Now, as we know, the Oscars are happening this Sunday and there is a staggering 14 nominees from the Irish camp. However, there may be a fly in the ointment for some of those people because seemingly out of nowhere, a movie called Everything Everywhere All at Once seems tipped to be certainly the best movie winner and possibly picking up a lot of the best actor and actresses, gongs, as typified by kind of how... 
out of nowhere this has come. When that movie was released last year, we didn't even review it on this show. More to our shame, I have subsequently seen it, but more importantly, Kira Tracy of News Talk has also seen it, and she's here to tell me if it's likely to win or not. Hello, Kira. Welcome to Screen Time. It is a pleasure. Thank you so much, John. Correct answer. <laughs> okay, everything, everywhere, all at once. Some people might have seen this when it got a release last year. Tell people what's going on. Oh, hey, so... As the title kind of explains itself, there's a lot, there's a lot happening. So it's actually not the, the easiest question to ask. But basically, it is a film about a woman who owns a laundrette. And she basically goes hopping through different multiverses. Like, it's a massive multiverse. She hops through different universes, uh, basically trying to stop the end of the world, which is at the hands of her daughter, in a different universe. Now, when you say multiverse, a yeah. certain portion of the audience will break out in a cold sweat thinking, yes. a Marvel movie. This is very much not a Marvel movie. And actually, the directors made a point of saying, we don't want this to be more Marvel. We actually want this to be a bit more Ghostbusters. Mm. So you do kind of see that. And obviously, with ki Kwan in it, who was in one of the best, well, couple 80s films, uh, The Goonies, it has that kind of 80s charm to it, I think, yeah. in, in some of some of the film. And Michelle Yeoh mm-hmm. is the lady in question. Yep. So she spends, I've seen it as well, as I said, she spends much of the movie, and we don't give a spoiler, but fighting her daughter. Yes. Um, or Jobu Tabaki, which is her kind of alter ego in a different universe. Um, incredible by Stephanie Hsu. She's basically just got massive mummy issues and not you know without you know there's there's good reason for it and she basically just puts everything like she can see everything she was pushed too far by Evelyn you know who is um Michelle yeah um she's pushed too far and she can see everything so kind of she loses her mind and wants to show that everything is meaningless Mm. um, and wants to put everything into a black hole which is an everything bagel Yes, and everything big. And it's almost like a Schrodinger's cat the world is and isn't at the same time because it's all these universes happening at the same time. But it's not a Marvel movie. And it's also largely, or a lot of it, certainly at the start, taking place in the tax office. Yes, with the brilliant Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah. Um, Yeah, it it is. It's interesting because it creates, you know, you see so many different possibilities, but there is just something so human to it, Mm. like tax office mm. uh, which is where the film kind of unravels um, but I think that's brilliant and I love how you can just see so many true pieces of humanity through all the chaos that is the film yeah and the, the thing that's unusual about it is because it is ostensibly a sci-fi movie yeah. with universe hopping and all but it's an emotional drama about mothers and daughters and Michelle Yeoh's character is also negotiating the possible breakup of her marriage as well yeah exactly that's it it just explores so much which I find brilliant like I rewatched it only this week and I found myself laughing again and crying again just like in the cinema when I saw it for the first time like it really does touch on so many um real things but then you'll also have I mean where do you even start with the absolute lunacy that takes place um half of it probably not suitable for for radio when you actually delve into <laughs> what goes on in that film but it's just brilliant did you cry I that cried yeah okay. I did cry the kind of the show towards the unconditional love like a daughter can have for her mother mm-hmm. just had me in absolute bits. It was that kind of... I may get you going again. I'll yeah, have to literally, I'm feeling yeah. it. <laughs> so listen, right, we're going to get to the Oscars and all, but if you were reviewing this when it just came out and you had to give it stars out of five, what would you give it? I would probably give it... Can I, can I do 
4.8. You can, you can. Um, yeah. Now, here's the thing. I enjoyed it. It's very inventive. Uh, it wasn't what I was expecting. But the best movie of the year, I'm not so sure about that. So, do you think it should be the winner? Like, if all things were equal, would you like to see it win Best Picture on Sunday night? As silly as it may seem, like the film might seem silly, but it, like I say, it's so real and the effects are unreal and everything is just the acting. I think it just ticks all the boxes for mm-hmm. me. Um, don't get me wrong, I love The Banshees of Inisherin, and that will probably be a very close contender with it. I would not be upset if Everything Everywhere All at Once did take the top spot. Yeah, you see, I would be. I enjoyed okay. it, but I think I think Banshees is a better movie. I also think The Fablemans is a better movie. You know? Yeah, I mean, this is the thing. This year there are so many, so many films up for that, that top place. Um, I feel like Elvis has been thrown around quite a lot too mm. for so many different reasons. Um, so I think it will be close, but just judging by the way Everything Everywhere All at Once just cleaned up at the SAG Awards yes. last week, it won four of the biggest, like the most major awards there and no single film has ever done that before. So it won Best Picture, two Best Actor Awards. Yeah, Directors. Yeah, and Directors. Yeah, literally. And the SAGs is often a good guidepost for what might happen. I think it's fair to say Michelle Yeoh is probably going to win Best Actress for it, right? 100%. And completely. Yeah, she is absolutely brilliant in it. Now, the the Best Supporting Actor is a tight one because we've Brendan Gleeson, we've Barry Keoghan, uh, and, uh, but the... Uh, Hugh Kwan. Right, who was in the Goonies and the Indiana Jones movie as well. Or he's going to win for Best Supporting Actor because Hollywood loved that kind of story. He's been in the kind of acting wilderness for, you know, 40 years yeah. and now he's back, albeit playing a great role, but I think he's probably having it. So I think this this movie is going to affect the Irish chances. I, I would say so. And on a personal level, though, I just adored Barry in Banshees of Inisherin. Yeah. Like, he, I would always rewatch that scene of him with Kerry Condon when they're saying, like, would you never yeah. fall for a yeah. guy like me? Like, that yeah. breaks me. I and, know. But to be honest, so did, you know, I, I cry I cry all the time in films. But Clearly. They're all very emotive actors, you know, it's brilliant. Yeah. Well, listen, so 4.8 stars, we've never gotten that as a rating, but we're prepared to accept it for everything, everywhere, all at once, which is the dark outsider for uh, Best Picture at this Sunday night's Oscars, which I think it may well scoop Best Supporting Actor as well, and more than likely Michelle Yeoh for Best Actress. Kira Tracy of News Talk has been talking to me. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. What? Rakakuni. You know the one with the chef? And he makes bad food, pui. And then this raccoon sit on his head, Ooh, control him, and then he cooks good food. Do you mean ratatouille? Clip there from everything, everywhere, all at once. And that clip might sound like a throwaway one, but like everything in that movie, it actually becomes quite important later on. The idea of ratatouille, uh, believe it or not. And uh, it is a very strange trip, that film. Well worth a watch. Well worth a watch. I'm just not sure if it's the best film of last year. Uh, The Oscars will decide on Sunday night. And we should have mentioned, you can now see it on Amazon Prime.
Now you're listening to Screen Time News Talks TV and Movie Show. Now the big movie release of the week in cinemas is Scream 6. Yes, there is now a six Scream. It follows on, it's fair to say, the relative success of the kind of reimagining of it two years ago, I think it was, with Scream, which was the fifth in the Scream series. If you can follow all that, it's a franchise that started a long time ago. I'm delighted to be joined now by Paula Wiseman, uh, journalist, podcaster, broadcaster, all things to all men and women, I guess. How are you, Paula? I'm good, John. Thanks so much for asking me in today. Oh, my pleasure. And thank you for coming into studio. It's nice to have corporeal beings I know. with me, <laughs> I know. despite the inclement weather. Okay, what's going on in Scream 6? Yeah, well, basically, I suppose things have moved on. We've, we're in a new location now. All the action moves into New York. Mm-hmm. So it kind of ups that. It's a bit, it's a bit more fast-paced. Mm-hmm. Uh, when they were in Woodsboro before. Woodsboro is where most of the action yes, takes place. I think screen. the majority of the films have been set in Woodsboro. Which in, is where? It's in Northern California. Okay. So obviously they've thought, well, we'll try and move it as far away as we possibly can mm. to the other side of the country. And so now we're in New York um, and... As always, you know, Ghostface, he never lets up. He has to he has to keep killing. So what's happening? People are on the run from Ghostface. Yeah, so we've got the four, the core four, as they call themselves. Um, they've decided they want to make a, a new fresh start. And so they all they all move to New York. They think, well, this is going to be good. We can just kind of do our own thing. But unfortunately, things, uh, murders start occurring and it's very obvious that Ghostface is back on the scene. And for the uninitiated, the core four are who? These are young kids. Yeah, well, they're kind of, I suppose, uh, you wouldn't really call them teenagers. I, I suppose they're in their late, I'd say the early 20s, okay. I guess. But so young. <laughs> well, you know, in the grand scheme of things, you know. Certainly from where I'm sitting. <laughs> but you've got the, the two Carpenter sisters, uh, Tara and Sam, um, and their friends, Chad and Mindy. So they're the core four. Basically, um, they have decided they're going to make this fresh new start in New York um, and they've all been through their own things. They've all survived, mm-hmm. you know, being attacked by Ghostface. In previous yeah. episodes, yeah. So now it's, they think they're escaping from it, but it's it's just a, a big continuation. And so Ghostface is very much back causing mayhem, as he does in all the other movies. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing about Ghostface. He's, it's not one, it's never one person. Mm. You know, every single film, it's, it's a bit kind of like Scooby-Doo. It's like, if Scooby Doo was a slasher movie, yeah, you know, at the end there's a reveal okay. of of the the new Ghostface, and we have that in this as well. Mm. Is Courtney Cox in it? She is. She is. There's a lot who of, was in the who was in the very first. Yeah, one. They, they've brought back a few uh, fan favourites. So Gail Weathers is back. Courtney Cox, Kirby Reed is back. Um, Hayden Panettiere, um, but there's no no uh, Sidney Prescott in this okay. film. Uh, so Neve Campbell has decided that it's not for her mm-hmm. so she's kind of she's she's spoken about but she's not actually okay, right. physically in the film missing in absentius and tell me this then so i'm sensing from it you weren't blown away by this it was i mean it depends on your penchant for gory films mm-hmm. i mean if you've got if you haven't got a strong stomach then this is not the film for you. So it's very gory. It's extremely gory. And a lot of the the stabbings are extremely, I don't know how they did it, but they're very close up. Okay. You know, <laughs> you're literally seeing uh, knives being twisted mm-hmm. very close up. Um, and there's there's just a lot of blood. And it just seems like they've they've thought, right, okay, we need to turn up the, the gore. Okay. Gore fest in this film more than ever before. And the plot? 
there isn't really. <laughs> <laughs> there isn't really one. It's just, you know, Ghostface. It, it, oh, I don't want to spoil it for people. There is there is a sort of an undercurrent of a story, but it, it's all kind of harks, some of it harks back to previous films. Mm-hmm. So um, I would probably uh, encourage people that if you know you're going to see this, try and see at least Scream um, and just kind of get yourself familiar. I mean, most people have seen the first one. Yeah. It's uh, quite a famous, you know, it was a quite quite a wide, quite famous cast in the first one. Yeah. But, you know, it's, this has been going for 27 years. It's a, it's a long time for a, a franchise. It is a long time for go. a franchise. But presumably, you know, they're doing this because, you know, like most things in the entertainment business, this is a money business. So they're presuming a lot of people are going to go and see this. So if you're a Scream devotee, do you think this will work for you? Yeah, you're gonna. I think if you're a Scream fan, you're gonna you're gonna love it. It's mm. it, it kind of ticks it ticks a lot of boxes. The friend I saw it with is a big big fan of the franchise, and he's seen all of the films, mm-hmm. and he absolutely loved it. There's it's it's funny. I don't know whether it's intentionally funny. There's some a lot of funny bits, but yeah, if you if you're squeamish at all and you're not familiar with the Scream movie franchise, then maybe. Try something else, Puss in Boots or something. <laughs> <laughs> and what are the uh, these these core four are in New York? Are they working? Like, what are they doing all day? Have they well, just escaped to go there? Or? Yeah, they're in college and they're okay. doing. You know, they're all doing. They're all doing their own thing. But you know, they they think, oh, we're gonna have a nice, easy life. This we're about as far as way away as we possibly can without leaving the country. But unfortunately, you know, as we find out, as you would find out later in the film. It's all, everything is connected, as as with most films. Yes, Ghostface is back. So what would you say stars-wise? Personally, it's difficult because I wouldn't say that I am a horror fan. Mm-hmm. So if I was a horror fan, I would probably give this a lot more. Um, they're already talking about this as being the, it's kind of probably going to be the highest grossing film in the Scream franchise. Wow. It's, it's you know, people are already queuing up to go yeah. and see this. Um, but I mean, I'd probably give it a solid... Solid three. A out solid, of, three. solid three out of five. Okay, well that that's not bad considering all you've said. Well, if you're one of those people who are queuing up, good luck to you. It will be released in cinemas on the 10th of March, which is this Friday. Not Paula Wiseman gives three stars to Scream 6. Paula, thank you very much. Thanks, John. Up next, author Kathy Kelly on her favourite movie. Now you're welcome back to Screen Time News Talks TV and Movie Show. It's that stage of the week where we talk to someone well-known about their favourite movie. Kathy Kelly is quite simply one of Ireland's most successful writers, having published, yes, millions of books, and having last year published her novel, which is in paperback this very month, which is called The Wedding Party. And I'm delighted to say she joins me now to chat about her favourite movie. Kathy, how are you? I am absolutely brilliant, John. Fab- fabuloso. Dying what- my favourite film. Wonderful. Now, I know what it is because you told me about two years ago when we were first meant to do this interview, I think. So tell our listeners what it is and why. Okay, it's the 1959 Billy Wilder, Some Like It Hot. And it's got uh, Marilyn Monroe, Tony Curtis and um, Jack Lemmon. And yes. it's just one of those classic, it's black and white. Um, it's set in 1929 Chicago and it's sort of vaguely uh, Valentine's Day massacre. And there are these two musicians and they witness this and they've got to get out of town. And they figure out that the only way to get out of town without being killed by the, the people, the, the mafia hoods who who uh, did the massacring, is to dress up as two women. 
um, they, they're they musicians, so they dress up as um, Daphne and um, oh my god, I'm having a moment. Daphne, anyway, I can Daphne and Josephine. Yes, Daphne and Josephine uh, join an all girls band, and who are going to play in Florida. And on the band, on the train, on the band is Marilyn Monroe playing Sugar Cane, and Sugar Cane is fabulous. I love Marilyn. She's originally called Sugar Kowalski, but she doesn't think anyone will ever be able to say Kowalski. So she goes with Sugar Cane uh, and they all really like sugar. Uh, it's been picked a few times. It's Pat Kenny's favourite movie. Oh it's, my God. Uh, also, if I'm not mistaken, Jack L's favourite movie. Oh. So people love this movie. Why do you love it? It's just that fabulous combination of wit, humour. There's a... Bl- bit of slapstick. I mean, I, I love some of the old Marx Brothers stuff, mm-hmm. but it has that that amazing vaudevillian humour that Billy Wilder, who was this, he was um, a, an Austrian Jew and he came over, uh, he came, went to Paris uh, in the sort of pre-Nazi or the Nazi period and then he went over to America. So it's got that amazing sort of Jewish humour, which I just love. I, I want to go online and figure out that I've got a bit of, um, you know, Jewish heritage because I just love <laughs> humour. It's just the best. It's the best humour. Nearly as good as Irish humour. Um, so you've got that that sort of wit and that humour. And you've got two men on the run dressed up as women. Interestingly, the film apparently was banned in Kansas because uh, Kansas people weren't supposed to be able for the fact that there were two guys dressed up as women. But there you go. Not much yes. changes. Not much changes. <laughs> yeah. um, in circles we um, move. Yeah, and frightening. So they, they're playing this very, very straight. And Tony Curtis is the very scared one and he's afraid they're going to be shot because he has already has three bullet holes in his double bass. Um, and then Daphne, who is played by um, Jack Lemmon, is just wild and sassy and loves being a girl girl and he's got fake boobs and everything and he loves hanging out with the the rest of the girls it's just there's so many levels on it because we as the we as the the audience we know what's happening but nobody else knows what's happening and when they get down to to florida which is actually it's actually filmed in um california when they get down there tony curtis decides he's going to make a real play for sugarcane and sugarcane is always having relationships with musicians and they leave her with nothing but a tube of squeezed out empty toothpaste so tony curtis knows he has to pretend to be something different so he he puts on an english accent a la Cary grant and he pretends yeah. to be, uh you know someone who uh, is one of the member of the shell oil family and he sits on the, the beach and he says i'm just seeing the yacht meanwhile daphne has found a beau who has a yacht uh, so has to bring him off tangoing and there's some great tango scenes while Tony Curtis and Marilyn Monroe get to play hooky on the yacht and Tony Curtis pretends to have a problem which means he, he can't be aroused on any level I shouldn't use that word but he he's not attracted on any level to any girl so Marilyn has to keep kissing him and he has to keep pretending it's having no effect whatsoever it's just it's a dirty job but someone has to do it and it's all a dirty that. job I completely and tell me this do you remember the first time you saw it I was trying to think about that really, probably when I was a kid at home. I grew up in Dundrum and when it would come up to, to you know, near Christmas, I knew all the good films would be on and I would sit there and, you know, with, with my guide, my RT guide, and I'd be like, right, okay, I'm going to watch this and this and this and this and this. And then we'd go down to my grandmother's and my grandmother had a, a TV in the kitchen and God rest her soul, she liked to stand in front of it. So... I'd, I'd be sort of peeking out either side of this thing. And she didn't approve of this television in the day. Carry on. The telly was for the news and the late, late. But probably Christmas down in my grandmother's, I'd say, when I was about 13 or 14. 
but I yeah. love it ever since. Every it's on every time it's on, I either watch it or I tape it. I know that yeah. sounds insane. I, I have tapes and to, to younger to younger listeners, these are those strange boxes that look like I don't know what, small boxes. So I have tapes, I have a DVD, I have it on my skybox, I have it everywhere. Yeah, well, it's it's if you're going to have a movie everywhere, why not? You know, one of the greatest movies of all time, and some say the greatest comedy ever. Tell me this: uh, we always ask people who aren't in this slot, who aren't acting people, have you ever acted at any stage in your life? Um, no. In fact, when I was at school, I I, I was a male munchkin, for which you know <laughs> I, I've never quite got over. Well, I did. Go, I went to an old girl convent school so you know there was you, you were either one or the other i was a a wind uh, and that was amazing um so no i never did at school but to be okay. honest with you there is a part it's of fine me, there's a there's a part of me that is such an actress i mean i when i did dancing with the stars i um i i loved that i loved that whole pretend you're someone else stuff it's there's definitely an actress in me but she, yes. she's gonna stay in me you know we're, yes. we're in there yeah, okay, okay. Best place for by all yeah, accounts is what you're saying. So listen, it sounds like an obvious question, but 22 novels in nearly the same amount of years, which is a crazy number. How have you been so productive when it comes to writing? I think it's guilt. I really think <laughs> it's, it's That's not the answer I was expecting. No, it's never the answer anyone expects. Um, well, when I started writing, I always wanted to write and I'd try, I'd had a few sort of abortive attempts and they were doomed to failure. And I also told everyone about them. And then people would say, how's the book? And I go, it's going nowhere. So um, eventually when I started to write and I got published, I, I loved the writing, but then I had this as a job. I was the kid who always had their homework done. I mean, I would have a breakdown if I didn't have my homework done. So I, the way it works in, in, in my business is, you know, you sign a two book deal or a three book deal and you have to have a book produced. And I would fall apart if I did not have that done. I mean, I'm quite often a bit late, but I will, I will keep doing it. And I, 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 maybe it's a very female thing or maybe it's not, I don't know, but I'm, I'm very hard on myself. So I keep thinking I must keep working. I must keep working. I must keep working. Yeah. That, that's why guilt is, is a large part of it. I do love, I do love what I do and I love telling stories, but the, you know, the, the guilt is a powerful thing. But is, is to unpack that a tiny bit, part of the guilt, is it also a kind of, wow, I can't believe this is my job. I get to do this for a living. Hugely. I mean, Absolutely. I, I go out and I see other people doing incredibly hard jobs. Um, and I think I am so lucky. I had this conversation with somebody the other day about um, about gratitude and the sheer gratitude that I have a job where I am my own boss, essentially. And OK, there's loads of different bits to it. And I have the most chaotic desk. I, it's, thank God you actually can't see this because there's things everywhere and I can't. And, I, you know, when people say, I know where everything is, I don't know where everything is. But um, it's it's a wonderful job. I get to sit down and create worlds and scenarios. And most of the time and people come back to me and they say they they like they like it, although a lot of the time I don't believe them. I think they're just saying that to be nice. Um, well, the, the, the sales speak for themselves. So there are clearly plenty of people who like the books. And talking of books, the latest one, which is now in paperback, which is yeah. lovely, the idea of two releases, The Wedding Party, an intriguing premise, uh, uh, sisters returning, children returning to the wedding of their parents who were previously separated uh, and they're getting remarried in later life. Again, a, a slightly obvious question, but where did the germ of that idea come from? 
And do you know, I'm not entirely sure. I came up with the idea of a family that were, you know, that had all been a bit dysfunctional and the, the parents had run this slightly rackety, wild, glamorous hotel. And then, you know, they'd, they'd been a big uh, falling out and things had gone horribly wrong and they'd been drinking and gambling and wildness. And so they- Like the Irish family, it seems. Yeah, basic Irish family, yeah, but add in a bit of a glammy hotel thing for fun. Yeah. And they'd divorced- and they've four grown-up daughters. One's a politician, one's a midwife, one's a businesswoman, and one is a copywriter. And suddenly the parents say, do you know the way we, we hated each other for a long time? That's over. We're going to get married again, really. So it's all set around the week in the run-up to this, and skeletons are falling out of closets everywhere. It's just a, a closet a minute. And it was so much fun. It really was so much fun to write, I have to say. It's... um. Yeah, you know, the older I get, the more fun I have with my job. I think there there is a certain growing confidence, even though I sit down yeah. and I, I'm a moron, which I do all the time. And I say to new writers, if you're not saying I'm a moron a certain amount of the time, you're failing. So I sit down and I go, I'm a moron. Then I go, okay, that's out of the way, right? Let's just blast into this. And I can have so much fun. It's, it's just yeah. wonderful. And I think, you know, from talking to writers and actors and stuff, when you do it for a while, it seems to me that the confidence might come from the fact that you have a sense of, you know what, I, I got the job. It's okay. I can now call yeah. myself a writer or an actor or a director or a singer. Yeah, very, very much so. And you you sort of rely on your past history. My sister mm. used to say to me, I'd be at a certain point in a book and I would be at the at peak moron, basically. <laughs> she would say, but you're always like this. And I go, am I? And then I began to think, okay. And she said, you've done it before. So you begin to go, okay, I did it before. I must be able to do it again. And it gives you a confidence because it's such a you know, like acting, like singing, it's such a, a bonkers job. There is no roadmap for it. I mean, well, there's no roadmap for a lot of jobs, as we all know, but there really isn't a roadmap. You're there on your own in your little room, or I guess if you're on stage and you're acting or in a film, I don't know. I don't know how actors do it. I think it's just wonderful, a wonderful gift. But um, yeah, you're on your own and no one can help you except you. And you've got to get out of your own way, actually, is how I often put it. And yeah. Just, get the words down and, um, and and try and stay off Pinterest because Pinterest, <laughs> Pinterest is is really, it's it's uh, deeply addictive. I, I yeah. look at cute animals and embroidery. I, I do embroidery. Don't laugh, John. I know you're going to laugh now, but I do. Not embroidery. at all. Not yeah, at all. I, I, I swear by it. I swear by it. Well, listen. I do, yeah. Her favorite movie is unquestionably, unquestionably I say that because she has it in every format available some like it hot she's reaching her peak so I'm delighted to talk to her right before she reaches it her latest novel The Wedding Party is available in paperback in all good bookshops Kathy Kelly delightful to talk to you thank you so much John I just got pinched in the elevator well, now you know how the other half lives look at that I'm not even pretty they don't care just so long as you're wearing a skirt it's like waving a red flag in front of a bull. Really? Well, I'm sick of being the flag. I want to be a bull again. Now, what do you say? Let's get out of here. Let's blow. Blow where? You promised me, Joe, that the minute we hit Florida, we were going to beat it. How can we? We're broke. Well, we could find another band, a male band. Look, stupid. Right now, Spats Colombo and his chums are looking for us in every male band in the country. So humiliating. So you got pinched in the elevator. So what? Would you rather be picking lead out of your navel? The unmistakable sound of Tony Curtis and Jack Lemon in Some Like It Hot as chosen by Kathy Kelly. And my thanks to her. And as we mentioned, The Wedding Party is now available in paperback in all good bookshops and wherever 
you get your books. That is it for this week. Thanks to Anne-Marie Kane, who helped out. As always, the show's available as a podcast every Friday at 5 p.m. on Newstalk.com or the Newstalk app powered by Go Loud. And it's on the radio every Saturday at 6 p.m. here on Newstalk. If you want to get in touch with me at any stage during the week, John underscore Fardy is my Twitter handle, or you can email me screentime at Newstalk.com. I guess I'll finish the show by saying, come on Ireland. And I mean that in terms of the rugby. And of course, the Oscars. So enjoy the rest of your weekend and have a safe week ahead. And we'll talk next week.